is the source of Refreshal, a platform where we engage in conversations with everyday individuals who have transcended the ordinary to become truly extraordinary. Their stories serve as a powerful inspiration, encouraging all of us to tap into our own extraordinary potential and embark on a journey towards success and living our best life. I'm your host, Lana Nasreddin. Get ready for today's episode where we dive into the world of successful entrepreneurship as well as explore the ins and outs of running a successful business. From the challenges to the incredible benefits, we've got it all covered. We have a very special guest joining us today, none other than the remarkable Tishko Gurji, a successful business owner. Tishko brings a wealth of experience to the table, having successfully managed several diverse businesses over the years. In this episode, Tishko will be shedding light on the intricacy of running a business with a particular focus on his expertise in the laundry business. Get ready to hear his fascinating journey, filled with valuable insights and advice that he's eager to share with all aspiring entrepreneurs. So tune in and join us as we learn from the best. Tishko is here to inspire and enlighten us about his remarkable journey so far and his exciting plans for the future. Let's get started. Hi Tishko and welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. I'm very good. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming indeed, um, for joining us today and for sharing your story and hopefully we can inspire a few listeners. Hopefully, we'll see. Only one (laughs) way to find out. Yeah, exactly. Um, So I guess we can start with by introducing yourself and tell us who are you. Right, so my name is Tishko Gurji. The name is as difficult as it sounds. But uh, so I'm 30 years old. I was born in the Netherlands. Um, I I come from a small family. I only have one brother. Um, he's 22, and I I currently own. Uh, I'm very business orientated, so I've always been in business my life. Um, I I have hobbies just like anyone else. Well, I try and have as many hobbies as I can. Uh, but obviously, that work that work and uh, life balance is quite difficult to maintain sometimes. So um, I currently own a laundry and dry cleaners with many other businesses in the past. Um, and yeah, I guess if you don't want me to get into my height. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. no. That's, that's, okay. that's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, that was really good. And um, thank you for intru- introducing yourself. Um, you, you mentioned that you were born in Netherlands. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Um, so where are you currently there or are you in a different country? No, so currently I'm in south of England, uh-huh, um, in nice. Bournemouth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was born in Holland, and it is it is a big cultural change uh, between Holland and here. And unfortunately, I didn't pick up the weight, uh, the height of the <laughs> Dutch people. And apparently, they said it was in the milk. They used to say there was a lot of hormones in the milk. Um, oh, really? And yeah, and I had a cousin that used to drink, I think, about two liters a day, and he's near two meters, so maybe it's true. Maybe it's the case. Yeah, but currently I'm in Bournemouth. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. Um, how was that a cultural shock for you for moving? I mean, we're almost like Europe in the same sense, but like maybe landscape-wise, different. Um, I think I think culturally it's different too. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's very different. So in Holland, everything is laid out. It's very organized. Mm-hmm. Um, from the roads, from their system, healthcare, education. Yeah. Um, 
you know, for example, there, there's there's as many cycle lanes as there is roads. You can pretty much cycle anywhere you want. Um, in villages and towns, not so much the large cities, but it's very safe. Yeah. Um, at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night, you see, you know, little children on their bikes going back home or going to places. Um, and culturally, Dutch people are quite, they're very polite. They're very, very polite. So if you go out, you ask them random questions, you know, as a stranger, they're very polite. However, their idea of friendship, it's a bit on the cold side, let me put it that way. Um, yeah. But regarding differences, there's obviously so much more, you know, when, for example, in school, here, they're a lot more rough. Um, there's no filters here between kids, but there, there's just to a certain extent, certain extent, they're a lot more posh, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I think, um, despite being close or neighbor-ish to the Netherlands, but there still will be difference in terms of like environment and the people, the way they operate. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Holland is a flat country. Yeah. Um, Holland, for example, there's a, a fun fact that I only recently really believed. Um, my parents always used to tell me like, you know, the, the ground underneath Holland is all brand new. It's just sand. Mm -hmm. So when a tree, for example, grows, its roots grow horizontally. It doesn't actually go vertically down. Mm -hmm. And that's why during you know, storms or during times of high speed winds, when the trees fall over, you actually see the roots. It's like a plate. Um, it's very interesting. So regarding the actual environment, um, there's a lot of differences. It's super flat. You're not going to see one hill or a mountain or yeah. anything of the sorts. Uh, it's nice to cycle. It really is. But it has its downsides too. Yeah. But regarding weather-wise, it's exactly the same as here. Um, mm -hmm. um, so I guess uh, maybe you can tell us about um, how you grew up in the Netherlands and like how it was there. Right. So growing up in Holland... As a Middle Easterner, um, it's nice. It's nice. It, it, you know, people are quite kind. Um, however, back in you know '93, that's when I was born. Um, when I when I started to go to school, there was still a lot of. I don't want. I don't want to sound very mean, um, but there was still quite a bit of racism uh, going on in schools and between you know parents and Dutch parents and foreign parents um but growing up in holland it was very very nice i i kind of look around me now and see kids always on their phone always inside playing games i didn't have that i used to go to school when i came back drop my bags off get on my bike and luckily we used to live right next to a playground mm -hmm. um so we was used to just race around the playground you know play imaginary war games um and Growing up there, it was very nice. I'm, I'm very lucky to have grown up there. Um, however, regarding the system in education, and that was actually one of the reasons that we moved to the UK. Um, but other than that, I think life quality in Holland growing up, it was very good. Uh, the system really does take care of you. As much as it takes, it does also take care of you. Um, I was always just, you know, playing with friends. I was always... Never inside, really never inside. Um, I, I was quite chubby when I grew up. Obviously, that, that, that comes with its uh, disadvantages, but it was nice. It really was nice. 
Yeah, that's nice. Um, and you said that there was like racism at that time. Um, how did you like deal with it? So, um, it wasn't it wasn't directly to me. Mm-hmm. So me between the other kids, I was actually perfectly fine. Um, I was always kind of. So a thing in my life is that my grandmother always used to say in our culture, um, in our in my language, they, she used to say that your rice is sour in a way, mm-hmm. uh, or salty. It's too salty. So basically, no matter how much you try, you're kind of always a bit cursed. So in regards with friends, I was always neutral with people. Then no one ever hated me. I what they weren't racist towards me. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the teachers, on the other hand, they kind of had, and not all of them, by the way, there were lovely teachers there. I still remember a few, you know, my, my, um, acting teacher, we did like a little exhibition at the end or like a little act. Uh, that was amazing, but there was my maths teacher. There was, you know, the, the yearly teachers that you have there because it's, it's primary. So there's one teacher for pretty much all the lessons because they don't really need to know that much to teach you. Uh, it's just simple maths. She was a bit, you know, uh, she was picking me out of the bunch, as mm-hmm. they say. Now, because of that, my parents did notice it. Um, and it wasn't that I was a mean kid. It wasn't that I didn't want to try. But the system in Holland, it works in a way that once you finish, let's say, once you finish your primary school and you go to secondary, if depending on how your grades are, if they're not very good, they will set you at a certain level. Um, and then in order to get out of that level to obtain or work towards a degree that you want. So let's say, for example, you don't really do well. They will put you in a certain school or at a certain stage where you can only become a trade, where you can only really work with your hands. And obviously, that's it's like manual labor. That's very intense. To get out of that, you need to study an additional two or three years. And then you start from scratch again, like the other kids. Now, this system, there's no way of trying again. And in Holland, we used to call that Group 8. So during Group 8, which is translated to Year 8 or Group 8, um, that's where you took the exam. So that's where they decided which where you go. MAFO, HAFO, FEVEO, those are all different levels. Um, now there that you didn't get a second chance and this particular teacher always used to pick me out you know put me through tougher situations and i think if i recall correctly she had a meeting with my parents and she said look i don't think i'm going to give him a chance i don't think i'm going to you know give him all of the work that i think he would he wouldn't be able to handle mm-hmm. when all the other kids were getting the same same generic kind of work then my parents thought about it. They were like, look, well, among other altercations, but we don't have to get into that. Um, but yeah, so basically then we decided that Holland wasn't the one. Uh, Holland, my parents decided that it wasn't very good to bring up your children. So their education system wasn't great. And because we also had family here, it was a much easier transition to come over here. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear that because I also have like family in Netherlands and maybe I didn't get the sort of understanding from their system and the way it is. But that's an interesting mm-hmm. breakdown of it. Um, in here, in school, it's more like, as you probably have um, been through it, it's, yeah, there's different levels, but at the end of the day, you're still like 
going through and like continuing on rather than being held back and being classed at different stage of a type of skill set or like a, being a trader sort of thing. And there's always like the opportunity to go to like college to make up for your grade as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the thing is with Holland as well, there was no second chances. That mm -hmm. was it. So once if you did bad in an exam, yeah, that's it. Obviously here with you know GCSEs or you know in universities, there's a lot of resets. Um, yeah. There, there was no such thing. Even in A levels, there was no chance to even redo the year. Mm. Um, so once you did at a certain point, once you performed either good or bad, that was it. Yeah, yeah. And um, at what sort of age did you came to the UK, and like, how was the education when you started in here? Was that like a complete shock? <laughs> uh, so I came here when I was twelve, and. <laughs> As a child, I was, let's say, I was a, I was a nerd, I was a geek, and I'm proud to say it. There was nothing wrong with that, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah. when I came over to the UK, the first shock was how rough it is. Um, I didn't have the privilege of going to a, an amazing school. I didn't have the privilege of going to a, you know, a, a great, yeah, great school. I went to a public school, and in one of the roughest areas in Bournemouth. Now, when I first arrived, I was quite chubby you know and with us middle easterners we mature very quickly let me just put it that way so at 12 i already had a mustache going you know i uh yeah i i was quite chubby with a mustache and that was it so when i started joining the class and i started joining all the lessons and with the kids i got bullied a lot um and to be honest i'm not saying that for any sympathy I actually appreciate it. I, I'm actually very happy that I got bullied because in my eyes, I think it's something that everyone has to go through because it really does toughen you up. And that kind of pushed me out of my shell. Um, I had to adapt. I had to react to this bullying. And with some trial and error, after a week or two, I kind of realized that if you get bullied, um, the best thing to do is just laugh with them because they're doing that to get a reaction out of you. And if the reaction is you being sad and angry, they'll laugh yeah. more and it'll be fueled very much. So every time I used to just laugh with them and um, it really did stop quite quickly. But also the thing is, that's when I started to adapt what kind of character, what, what kind of person do you want to be in this world, right? Because you're on your own, there's no parents, you're not in the comfort of your home, there's no one looking after you, it's just you in school. And the school that I went to during, so a little story. So every time during lunchtime, they used to, a, a few kids used to, from home, bring in fruit, okay? So they would tell me, I'm going to eat the fruit. But what they actually did is before the bell would go off, let's say between 12 and 1, you have an hour, they would go to the toilet at quarter to or 5 to 12, right? They'll tell the teacher, oh, can I go to the toilet? And then the teacher will be like, okay, just take your bags and go. So what they used to do is they used to go outside into the courtyard and you used to have a hallway, a hallway, and then a hallway. So basically it's just one long courtyard going down and then to the right is an open area. So as the kids came out, they used to come in waves through the three doors. What these few kids used to do was they used to wait at the very end when all the kids came out and the bell rang, they used to have apples, pears, and pots of yogurt 
and they would throw it as high as they can in the air and see who it lands on. <laughs> now, it sounds funny, but when you're one of those people that gets hit by an apple, it hurts. It really yeah. does hurt. Um, that's, that's just one of the smallest things that they used to do. There was a lot more full-on bullying. Um, I experienced that as well, but, you know, from my upbringing with my dad, you know, I'm very, very close to my parents. I'm very close to my brother. And I would not trade one minute with my brother or my parents for anything else in the world. Um, I still live with them. You know, I I do everything with them. My brother is 22 years old. And in 22 years old, we've never argued. We've never argued. We've never had a fight. Um, I remember once I, I hit his arm just a little bit when he was a kid. And that whole day in school, and it's ironically just the same school as well that I was getting bullied. Um, I just couldn't, I couldn't think. I just wanted to go back and, you know, just make up to him and just play wrestling. We used to do watch a lot of WWE. Um, yeah, so the school, it was quite rough. But, you know, being Middle Eastern and coming from a strong family, my dad always told me, it's like, if someone says something to you, don't take it. Don't let them think that they can get away with it. Now, he never encouraged me to go and fight, uh, but he did encourage me just to be my own man, just to have respect for myself and expect people to at least treat me with respect. If they don't, he always said, you don't, you don't need to start, say anything, just ignore them. But if they're in your face and if they're really antagonizing you and pushing you for a reaction, don't let them get away with it. And as a man, as a, a young boy, that's very important to know, really. Um, because running away from altercations and running away from possible fights, right now it's sometimes it's good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to get into something that later I will regret with actual physical injuries, right? If you can dissolve an, an argument, if you can dissolve a fight, definitely do that. There is no need to show how big your feathers are. You know, you're not a peacock. You don't need to show off. That, there's no. There's no thing because it's as simple as a road rage incident you don't know if the other person is having a bad day you don't know yeah. if he has a weapon um so regarding that that school in the uk it was a big shock it was a really big shock going back to the original point um however that slowly and very quickly actually uh went away but then came the actual education so you're in the public school the public school they deal with fights on a daily basis there was a lot of kids that did drugs in that school we didn't have that in Holland. There was no kids smoking, you know, behind the shed in Holland. Mm -hmm. So this was all a big cultural shock. Um, now, after I joined, it was a public school. Now I think they've changed it. The whole school got closed down and rebranded. But um, yeah, it was it was a big shock. Yeah, yeah. Um, bless your families. Um, it's good to hear that you're still like very close to your family because like sometimes you do get kids um, where they just go like, oh, well, I'm 18, I'm out of the house sort of thing. Um, so it's nice to see that you're still very close to your family. And yeah, regarding school, um, I understand what you're saying because um, I went to public school as well. Um, mm -hmm. It was a mixed school, but there was still like racism happening. Um, and then there was like obviously still um, we had like a few racist teachers. Um, 
despite the yeah. fact that the students were all like a mixed background, it wasn't like uh, the majority were minority sort of thing. It was a, a good mix. Um, but yeah, I think overall, um, what you said it does sort of uh, summarizes some schools in the UK. <laughs> we had some other uh, stuff as well, like fighting and um, but nothing around throwing apples. <laughs> it, it was quite funny at a certain point. But the thing is, um, I just want to touch upon being close to your family. I really think that in today's generation, today's world, people think that you're always like as soon as you turn 18, like you said as well. Oh, I'm 18. I can. I'm a man. I can think for myself. Yeah. In my eyes, you or in your parents' eyes, you will always be a child. Exactly. Right. And at the end of the day, friends come and go. Mm-hmm. They really do. They, I've had best friends for 10 years and just like an instant. I never heard from them. They just completely ignored me for no reason. So they really do come and go. Uh, but family, I mean, this is going to sound cheesy, but it just stays. And yeah. in today's generation, that's what we don't have enough of. That dynamic, if, if you're close to your family, if you can work with your parents, with your brother, your sister, you can pretty much, I mean, achieve anything you want you can achieve anything you want and i don't understand why people can't be close to their parents can't be close to their siblings or they they think that oh i'm independent i'm 18 i can do what i want it's not like that you can learn so much from life experience life experience is it's invaluable it's so priceless that even if you meet someone that is a failure in life he's 60 70 has nothing to his name has been through a lot. If he talks about his life, if you're someone that is somewhat intelligent, you should listen. You should see what he says and learn from his mistakes. Yeah. He might say something so out of the blue that just clicks with you. Be like, oh, I never thought about it like that. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think um, sometimes it just the way the, the way the family structure just comes to be. So, for example, if your your parents comes from like a disjoint or disconnected parents from their parents, then that sort of passes down that habit and that trait, and then it goes throughout the whole generations of that family tree. But it all starts from uh, having like a good relationship, um, like the couple, and then how they pass that trait down to their kids. Yeah, of course, some things aren't in your hand. You know, some things are just faith and God throws it at you. Yeah. You can't really do anything with that. But yeah. down that lineage tree or that line, you can always break it. You and your siblings, if you realize that, hey, look, why are we butting heads? Why are we clashing all the time? Yeah. You know, let's let's break this. Let's let's sit down and be more patient with people. Be more patient with each other. So of course sometimes it's not it's just unlucky that you're born into something your parents might be a certain way um but at a certain point in life that's not an excuse anymore mm-hmm. um and i also think that um i don't know maybe because it's my asian side of my personality talking but i think that uh, with all due respect to other cultures and ethnicity um from my perspective it's maybe what your parents has gone through to give you a good life and you've come to the realization that you don't want to disappoint them and 
basically try to achieve something in life that they can be proud of. I think that also plays a part in like maybe most or a good amount of Asian people. A hundred percent. Definitely. I completely agree. And, you know, for some people, for example, my parents, you know, we came, they came from Iraq during the times of Saddam Hussein and anyone that kind of knows about, they know the dictator stuff, you would know that Saddam Hussein was bad. I mean, obviously there's good and bad in every kind of dictatorship, but mm-hmm. maybe I don't, I don't want to get into trouble for saying certain things. Um, they ran away. They, they ran at a point where there was only 700 foreigners in Holland. They, you know, they worked in a farm. They worked peeling tulips and bullet pellet. That's what they used to say um, in Holland. And I didn't, I never did that job, so I don't know exactly what it entails. But it's very manual labor intensive. And the things that our parents do, they don't always mention it, especially, you know, I don't know about other cultures, but like, you know, Asian parents, when they move countries at, at a very early time, they go through a lot. I mean, my yeah. dad used to work in a metal factory, yeah. cutting and moving massive metal pipes that they would have lorries. You know, you've seen, you've probably seen the lorries where they kind of block the highway. It takes two lanes and there's loads of, you know, highway yeah. maintenance or police. He used to cut those big, big beams. And even now he has, you know, spine issues, back issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, he used to work 15 hours a day throughout the night. And these kind of things, you need to appreciate that. And you really, people don't really realize because we live in a world or in a time where everything is luxury, everything is comfort. You know, at, at, at the tip of your fingers, you can look up any kind of information. Now, obviously, that's technology, and technology can be a blessing and a curse at the same time. Yeah. But making your parents proud mm-hmm. is, in my eyes, one of the most singular most important things in the world um and you know to show them that all their hard work hasn't been wasted you know it's it's amazing you you'll have such a peace of mind later on when god forbids they part they pass away because they will everyone will um you're not left with any regret exactly yeah exactly um now going back to um the whole education part um what was your sort of dream when you were in school what you what did you want to be and then did you go into university like how did the whole education journey go for you right so my dream career i never really had i never really had one thing in mind um I was always kind of just, as probably many other kids were or are now, kind of touching up on things. I was like, okay, maybe I like this, maybe I like that. Um, if we're going to talk very childishly, I always wanted to be a spy. You know, like Jackie Chan, uh, watching Jack Chan movies. When, and that's how I learned English, ironically. Uh, nice. I used to memorize the script of Rush Hour 1 and 2 oh, off yeah. my heart. <laughs> Every night before I sleep, the old VCR tapes, you put it in, you rewind it. First, you have to press stop and then rewind it because then it goes quicker. I'm just teaching the youngsters, you know, and um, so I never really had a career that I had in mind. However, growing up, um, I've always had the knack of thinking for yourself. I've always wanted to do something that directly reflected myself. And by that, I mean, whatever you put into something that you're doing, it's just you. I always liked responsibility. 
and if you're working for someone else then you can kind of clock out you know as soon as you finish you turn your computer or you go out of the office and that's it um, but when you have your own thing going and that's when I slowly realized so I did go to university I studied aeronautical engineering nice which, well <laughs> thank you um, but which wasn't really a thing because you know once you start working as an aeronautical engineer you're starting from scratch you know you're, you're, you work for someone and my family um, we were always business orientated when I grew up my parents they had a wholesale food supplier like a massive warehouse I used to always run around the, the pallets of food and get forklifts and you know eat loads of food so that's probably why I was fat and um, I always grew up in a, in a business family um, we always tried we always taken risks um, so after university I realized that business was really the place where I could find myself um, and I was I've always been energetic I think my brother can attest to that so you know let's say for example the simplest thing we're sitting down we're having tea and my mom says oh I forgot the sugar in an instant I would be up in the kitchen coming back again I'm always very energetic and for me to sit down in a place and you know work in an office do something very slow it wasn't really for me at the time so that's why I went straight into business um, after my studies that's nice so you said your family had like a business um, so I suppose I take it after schools and like after your um, you during your free time you're helping out your family um, on their business and do you think that was the sort of um, source of inspiration that maybe led you down the business side of things instead of going down the professional career path that you studied for yeah definitely definitely because i was brought up thinking you know you can always take a risk you can always gamble in business mm -hmm. now obviously i i'm highly against gambling of any sort um but doing it in business and taking a risk for example setting aside an x amount of money and doing an endeavor and it's failing you should still be happy with that obviously not happy that you failed and you should learn from it but that's the kind of mindset that I, I i had and i actually started becoming an exclusive distributor for an american company um and they produced fire extinguishers so these fire extinguishers they're nothing like your red bottles they're environmentally friendly and you know non-corrosive non-toxic and dilutable with water so you had one liter of this product you can mix it with 100 liters of water and you have 101 liters now this kind of endeavor it was nothing that we've all none of us have ever done before because at the scale that i was doing it i was doing it on a corporate scale on a business to business scale now for that and selling fire extinguishers it was not just the bottles that i sold i sold the liquid now, I had to go approach large corporations, learn how to talk to them, learn how to get close to them. And in a country or countries like the Middle East, it's all about knowing people. Mm. And I very quickly realized that no matter what you tell someone, if you're selling them something, no matter what you tell them, money is the first thing they think of. Yeah, that's it. You can you can tell them how much you're they'll potentially make this 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 no money is really what they what they care about and if you're selling something to someone 
first thing in regards to money is their wallet. Mm -hmm. How much do I have to pay? Yeah. I, I want to make the money, but I don't want to pay any money. That's ideally what they want. Yeah. They want to make money without yeah taking the risk. So luckily, um, I had my dad. My dad was a big, big support in this, a massive support. Um, I got my patience from him. He was always very, very resilient, very patient with a lot of different people. Um, and we we went back to Kurdistan, Iraq. We actually started through contacts, through my dad, getting closer to people and really, I, I started to really refine my business skills, really refine how to talk to people. Mm -hmm. I started reading a lot of books and you know, a lot of different methods. So for example, if I sat down with someone, I wouldn't straight away go into business. I would have a look around his office. I would have a look at all the, the, the certificates hung up, little ornaments, whatever it is. If he had a picture of his family, I would know, okay, he's a family oriented person. How many kids? What's on his wall? What did he study? Where did he study? Maybe I could say something about the city. Break that barrier of this only being business. Um, so over several years, we luckily managed to really get some amazing clients. Um, but because this business was more in bulk, I couldn't sell single fire extinguishers. I didn't want to set up a shop and be pinned down to one place. Um, it was on a mass scale. So obviously the, the clients and the customers and the, the frequency of orders, they weren't every week or every day. And you really had to work, work for it. So I would have to talk to a customer or talk to a company. They would ask me 20, 30 questions. Right, technical questions, everything about the product, money, you know, how long does it take, blah, 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 blah. And after a while, um, you got used to it. After a while, you really got used to it. You would send samples, it, you just got into the groove. And, you know, like you mentioned, like the question, like you asked, um, growing up in a family that always did business, they always had my back. And I always, no matter, even if the business was new, I always learned from them. The advice we used to sit down every evening, talk about things, um, even though the business was mine, even though I had full control and full rights over everything, I always listened to them. I took advice. I changed my mind several times about certain things because they mentioned a really good point. And that's where our family really got tested. Now, our family were always very strong. We're very close to each other. And businesses like this, when there's a lot of money on the line, mm -hmm. it will really test it. It will really strain the family. And we've had arguments. We've had little debate, well, debates, little fights. Um, mm -hmm. But very slowly, we used to calm down and we'll be like, okay, let's think about it logically. Let's see what we can do. And going into this, it really opened my eyes. You know, I did a demonstration for a petroleum company once. And I think there was about 90 professionals there in a massive hall. And I was right in the middle, you know, right in front of them with a projector talking about my product, yeah. trying to convince them. And whenever I was always kind of anxious to get to the point of, okay, any questions or does anyone not understand? Because five people would put their hands up and they're all very technical people. Now, before this, um, before actually before the uh, the demonstration or this presentation, I was very very nervous, and I did the classical movie thing of going into the 
to the bathroom, splashing my face with water, slapping myself a few times. Um, but it helped. It, this, that stage or that barrier that I broke of being in front of people, being the center of attention for a good reason. Nothing like the social media and attention seeking, no. But doing that afterwards, I ha I felt like I felt like a software update. I felt like an upgrade to myself. And it wasn't in any way of feeling, oh, I'm above people. No. I was like, wow, I just did this. I really just did that. Um, I mean, there, there were some times where, for example, afterwards we went into the petroleum fields. They laid everything out for me to do demonstrations. And I had a full setup because um, I took firefighting courses with the company yeah. in America. And <laughs> so I, I did the demonstration. And there was one particular demonstration where I would get an aerosol spray can, empty. But because it's tin, it's aluminium, you would get a Bunsen burner. And you would basically just burn one dot of that can until it's red scorching hot. And then I would just spray it just once very quickly with my product and put my hand to it. So it would cool down metal to the touch. That was one of its perks. But I didn't realize that I was heating it up around the rim of the can. And I only sprayed the side of it. And you can imagine, obviously, yeah. out of the many people, there was about 25 that stayed, the very people, the influential ones that can make a decision. Uh, so once I put my hand to it, I could hear it. It, went, it burned my skin. At that point, you're, then you're really tested. I was like, I can't pull a face. I was like, see? <laughs> my dad heard it because he was right around my back. So he comes up to me and he says, hey, you okay? Everything all right? I was like, yeah, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. So that, that whole demonstration, I couldn't really use my right hand. Um, but th th those little things, it, it just happens. And yeah. it was amazing. It was, and that's not... After that, like like I previously mentioned, you know, we touched up on so many other businesses, um, but this one was one of the pinnacles of my life. Um, and you know, working in the Middle East, it has its perks. It, yep. it, it really does, but also many disadvantages. Mm -hmm. uh, so, corruption is also yep. one of the biggest ones. Yeah. You, know, you you can't really. Everyone has. A finger in one pie or another and usually we have a saying that if someone is eating the sa eating for example bread all you want is just the crumbs mm -hmm. something along those lines but yeah it was quite difficult but it was a big learning curve and i'm very grateful for it that's interesting to hear and yeah um in terms of the business aspect as a whole um how long did you work on that and then did you continue on this um, business and if you didn't why did you not right so i worked on this i think for over let me have a quick thing only till quite recently actually hmm. um so before covid during the end years of trump pretty much um yeah. so i think maybe about five or six years i worked on it <laughs> and to be honest with you because this job involved a lot of import and export, a lot of, you know, custom documentation and laws and regulations. Um, at a certain point, it just became a bit more difficult to do. Mm -hmm. And also at a certain point, I thought, look, I need to kind of 
settle down somewhere. I need to have a place. I want to just be at one point. Uh, I want to know how much I make. I want to kind of have a daily interaction with people and not always sit behind my laptop or, you know, set one thing up and then have to go fly there and then it doesn't work. Um, it was a very risky business that really required to be on point. You, you really had to nail every meeting. You had to be very precise. You had to be sure of every appointment that you go to or every, you know, gathering that it would be successful. Yeah. And that stress was just a bit too much for me. Now, then I decided to take a, a kind of back seat to the business. Um, I let it run. I kind of put in little, um, how do you say? I threw bait in the water here and there, uh, but it was never something that I wanted to continue forever. So when I stopped, uh, I started actually opening a laundrette and a dry cleaners. Now, I didn't technically open it, I bought it. This this laundrette and dry cleaners was, you know, it's been well, it's been established for over 50, 60 years in the current location. And I was very lucky to be able to buy it. Um, so making that transition between an international business to a very, very local business, it was a nice change. It really was. It was something that I needed. I think that's interesting um and what sort of made you want to buy the laundry business was that just like something an opportunity that came along and like yeah that's that's a good thing to do or was there like some sort of research inspiration or like um advice and insight that you got from someone so funny enough it was actually my uncle's laundry mm -hmm. um and that's why it kind of just came came in front of me. It was nothing in particular. I didn't really do any research on it. Um, it was just something that I thought, okay, you know, it's it's a laundrette. It's all about customer service. And I love talking. I'm very energetic. And it was just, yeah, it's just something that came in front of me at the right time, I think. That sounds good. Yeah, it's good to see that the business that you buy, it's well, for the person that's selling it, they know it's giving it to the right person that's going to look after it. Because I'm sure, um, as you said, your uncle um, previously owned it. I'm sure he spent quite a lot of his life um, building it and having to continue to see the business running afterwards. It's really good. Um, I, I appreciate you saying that, um, <laughs> but I don't think it was like that. What's no. <laughs> um, no, so basically he didn't own it for 50 or 60 years. Oh, okay. There was previous owners. Yeah. Um, but when I took it over, mm -hmm. it wasn't that great. Oh, the right. interior. <laughs> I mean, maybe he'll maybe he'll watch this one day, but it wasn't left in a good state. Oh, right. Um, it was a mess. Now, raising a business up from scratch, not from scratch, but raising a business up from a damaged reputation takes a lot of time and effort and patience mm -hmm. so and money um, we had to completely overhaul everything we had to get new machinery new flooring paint everything clean it there was dust there was there was dust that if you were to see it you just you just wouldn't believe it it was like a carpet like like a blanket full of dust oh. in a certain place and this is a laundrette yeah um, so reputation wise you know there was 
when I took it over, there was one employee. And I remember my uncle saying, he's saying, oh, yeah, but if this employee goes, the business is going to fall. Right. That's what he said. Now, when we took it over, um, I went there in person. I started talking to every single customer and I have a method of work that I really, really think is so important, no matter how large your business is, that you need to always build a personal relationship yeah. with your customers. Always. It doesn't matter if they're your boss or not, um, or if they're a big company. My kind of idea was that any customer that walks into my shop needs to leave laughing. Mm-hmm. And coming from a time where I was bullied and I had to think on my feet very quickly, um, I can make people laugh. Well, I like to think so. Um, I have my moments. Let's just put it that way. Um, so every customer that walked in, I always used to t- you know, joke around with them, get to know them. And customer service is actually just that. You need to yep. be so patient. And people, people that come into your shop, maybe they had a bad day. Maybe they're miserable. Maybe they're grumpy. But if you treat them with the respect that you want to be treated with, automatically they won't feel right being rude to you. Mm. Maybe they're rude to you once. Maybe they'll answer you very rudely. But if you answer back positively and nicely, which you have to, because this is touching up on the previous point of whatever you do in your own business directly reflects on you. Yeah. You are damaging your own business. Mm-hmm. It's different if you work for someone. Yeah. So when people used to come in, I used to always joke around with them. And to bring this business back on its feet, um, I had to kind of always be there. Now, this is also a bit of a negative thing. Because if you have your own business, you never truly rest. You never truly have a day off. Um, I, funnily enough, I actually also owned, maybe this is a bit stereotypical for a Middle Eastern, but I actually also owned a car wash, uh, two car washes. And um, that job wasn't really for me. It was very, you know, the, the customers that I used to get, it, it was very intense. Um, I used to have 15 staff work for me in one of them and five staff at the other and running all of those employees running all of the customers so customers would come in with their car and they would expect it to be done in five minutes to be washed outside and inside to do this you need people yeah to have and to do this the people need money and we used to have customers that, that walked in and they they said oh you scratched my car or there was money missing Oh, the, my, well, I have one guy, we had one guy that said, my sunglasses are missing. He came in super angry. It was, I was, it was my day off, right? And I was on the beach and during like having the car wash, the customer came in very angry saying, where are my sunglasses? What if you stole it? Uh, making a mess, you know, not making a mess, but making um, a scene. I got a phone call from my manager. He goes, boss, 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 there's someone. And they were all Romanian, my workers right because it just worked harder nothing in particular i have no hate against anyone um and because it's such a manual labor intensive job you know they were they just happened to be romanian and i got the phone call so i drive over there you know i leave everything on the beach and all all my friends i go over there and the guy's super angry all the workers are around him and he starts accusing my workers of stealing so this also teaches you how to treat with angry customers, how to dissolve situations. Now, 
I calmed him down and I said, look, let's go inside. I made him a cup of coffee, right? Usually at those points, he doesn't expect you to be that nice because yeah. yeah, you treat, um, you treat, how do you say, friction with friction. Yeah. That's what people usually do. Now, I made him a cup of coffee and I said, look, we have cameras here. Let's have a look, okay? Um, and he said, yeah, but what, what if they stole it from inside the car? I said, okay, let's just have a look. It doesn't hurt to check. So basically, long story short, the guy got out of the car with the sunglasses on his head, got back in the car with it on his head and drove off. He went white. He did not know what to say. Um, and even then, I, I, I wasn't angry. I just said, look, you see? And I said, you feel bad now, don't you? He says, yeah, yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. All right. But I said, look, instead of that, just write a good review. So, exactly. Yeah, and he did. He really, really did write a good one. But um, yeah, so basically going back to the original point, when I bought the laundrette, it needed a lot of work, a lot of work. And now, you know, I'm very blessed. I'm very grateful. We get a lot of good customers. Um, I was actually talking to a, funnily enough, we went to a restaurant and I was talking to the waitress. And you know, we, we're just talking about businesses and stuff like that. And she said, oh, yeah, this is a family business. I'm helping out. And I said, oh, yeah, you know, I have a family business as well. And I say family business because when I had the laundrette, um, sometimes my mom and dad will come help out because no one wants to be at home doing nothing. Yeah. Right. So and at the end of every week or every month, my parents had full access to the business. They always did with everything I've done in my life. They've had full access to anything they wanted, the money, the responsibility, the, the rulemaking and decision making. Um, so going back to, you know, just the, the laundrette in general, it was a really, really nice thing. And I was talking to the waitress and she said, oh, yeah, I've heard about the laundrette. I've heard only good things. And whenever we want to do something, we just say, go there, go there. Now, before it wasn't like this when we took it over. Um, I had to shut down the Google page of the website of, of the business, sorry, and I had to make a new one, gather all the good reviews, you know, talk to each customer. And right now we're the highest rated laundrette in Portland. We get so many people that say, oh, I've, I've seen your reviews. They're amazing. And I reply to every review personally because it is a family business. Yeah. Um, That's really good. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, that's really good. Um, and in terms of um, the business itself, um, you did mention that um, customer service. I think having good customer service skill and making them feel welcome, and even if the point where they're wrong, but they still have to be the right in terms of what they're trying to argue the point on. I think that's the sort of standard in every business or like profession. You know, you have to build a relationship with the customer or the client. Um, otherwise, you don't have a business, to be honest. Yeah, true. I mean, having said that, customers aren't always right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're, they're, but you, have to, but you um, have to make it look like they are the right one. <laughs> with all due respect, so sometimes we get customers that argue prices. Yeah. Right? That's one thing that kind of gets to me sometimes. I'm like, look, you don't go to Tesco. And say i don't want to pay two pounds for these strawberries it doesn't work like that mm. um or sometimes you know people come in and they have they bring 
let's say something leather that needs yeah. very specific cleaning. And I'll tell them, I'm like, sorry, we can't do this. They get a bit, you know, iffy. Um, and customers, at the end of the day, you've sweat, you've sweat, shed tears and bled for this business. Mm. You will never let anyone take advantage of it. Yeah. So, for example, in, in a case of a laundrette, people might overload the machines. Mm. So many times I've, I've gone into, you know, not, I wouldn't say arguments, but talks with people. I'm like, look, you have to take your clothes out. I'm not going to let you put that money in, you know, because it's going to break my machine. Yeah. Um, and I've had one guy when he overloaded the dryer. Now, dryers, they're all, even washing machines, they have belts, yeah. you know, that has to rotate. He overloaded it so much. And I told him, I was like, you can't start this machine. It's going to break it. Oh, you want me to spend money? You want me to do this? I was like, listen, you can take all your washing and go somewhere else. It's not about the money. Mm -hmm. Oh, what do you mean? I was like, it's not about the money. I don't need, well, I'm always grateful for everything, but I don't need your two pounds if it's going to break my machine. Yeah. Um, so customers aren't always right. But I get what you mean. I really do get what you mean. So you have to, even if you want to prove them that they're wrong, you have to do it in a nice way. Mm -hmm. And that yeah. really does, it really requires good talking skills and good communication. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in terms of your business, um, I know I've heard quite a few things about laundry businesses. Um, is it true that this type of business is fairly low um, risk and has got a high turnover? Um, and if it's why would you why why is this type of business um like that and uh, compared to like other businesses uh it's not entirely true hmm. it's not entirely true um it depends on if you work there yourself or if you have an employee mm -hmm. there's so many machine breakages like i mentioned because you have self-service and with the self-service you're not always there so for example i'm home right now and the laundry is still working i don't know what they put in even if they put too much in, I'm not going to drive all the way down there to tell them off. So it being low risk and high turnover, I don't think that's entirely true. And also high, high turnover just means, you know, how much money you're making. And that also is directly uh, correlated to what you put into the business. Um, now, laundress are very manual labor intensive as well. Mm -hmm. Now, with all the breakages and... Currently, with the gas and electricity bills as well. And if you have a member of staff, which we used to, it really chips away at your money. It really does. So in a way, it's good. It's like any other business. It could probably keep a family afloat. But it's not something that would make you rich. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can, live, you can live comfortably if you're happy to compensate on all your free time on a lot of actual manual work mm -hmm. and if you don't want to have any employees. Yep. Yeah, I think most um, family businesses, because I know um, I've got family businesses as well, um, sometimes you do try to cut costs where you can in terms of like managing as many of the tasks yourself or like trying to do all the accounting yourself just so you don't like pay someone to do the accounting. <laughs> um, but sometimes some things you can't really do it yourself or like, for example, the accounting part. Um, there's a lot of taxation and like the rules and regulations that you might 
try not, you know, if you do it yourself, you might get it wrong. So that's the sort of thing that you may not be able to do all yourself um, for a long term. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, at, at that point, it kind of becomes essentially the question of what's your time worth? Yeah. Is your time worth going away and studying accounting? Just do your own accounting and save yourself a couple of hundred quid or yeah. however much it costs for your business because it's all dependent on how much you need an accountant. Mm -hmm. That's kind of, it all kind of goes hand in hand. I mean, when I did my fire extinguisher business, I taught myself Photoshop, video editing, um, you know, social media, marketing, all of that stuff nice. because that would have saved me a lot of money. Yeah. Now, with the laundrette, I'd much rather be focusing on lead generation, getting customers and maintaining that good reputation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. Yeah. And what sort of strategy do you use to get more customers? Um, I think it's pretty much like any other business. Uh, so word of mouth, it's still one of the most old school ways of doing things, but the most efficient. Um, and like I previously mentioned, you know, making sure that every customer is happy and they will eventually recommend you to other places. Yep. Now, in regards of you know, getting customers or attracting more people to your business, uh, you have to actively go and do it. <laughs> I don't really believe in luck. I don't really believe that you get handed things. I think you make the opportunities, you open the doors to invite luck into your life. Yep. So calling up businesses, you know, providing something to them that they can't get elsewhere. Mm -hmm. I think I think that's very important. So for me to get customers, um, I start with the customers that I already have and just basically just calling up businesses, but being very polite because no one wants to be cold called. No yeah. one, no one likes those kind of conversations and you don't know what they're doing. But yeah, yeah, I think that's the best way. Do you try to like um, get more customers like maybe through social media or like advertising online sort of thing? Uh, I should. I should get into social media um, a lot more. But like I also previously mentioned, it's very time consuming. Mm -hmm. uh, going into social media and you know keeping the posts up. I'm not a very big social media person to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my personal social media is only to put food that I eat on there and that's it I, I rarely go on it I don't even have notifications up on it you know when with messages and things like that um, at the same time I'm a very private person yeah so I've never really had a good relationship with social media um, some may call me old or old school but I'll, I'll happily take it but in reality social media is the best way yeah it really is yeah I think it's it's um, it's a good sort of strategy to use because um, I know most business use that for like um, basically for their advertisement and like getting more leads or getting more traction online. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, you just you're making more of an appearance yeah. out there. Um, I've had people walk, walking past my shop when they came in. And it was like, oh, I've been living here 20 years. I never realized you were hit. I don't know if they look at the floor the whole time when they walk, but yeah, you'd be surprised. surprised. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, I know now there's quite a lot of um, sort of issues around the living cost and all of that sort of stuff. 
And have you noticed that there's people now more often coming to the laundrette to do their washing rather than doing it at home just to save costs? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think what I mainly get from that is, you know, as the customers or people tell me, is they know exactly how much they spend. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, at home, your washing machine might take 45 minutes or it might take an hour and a half, depending on the program. And they don't usually know at, at the end of the month how much has gone to the washing, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to drying as well. So in regards to drying, it's a lot more popular than washing. Uh, most people wash at home and they bring it over to my shop to dry. Really? Because of, yeah, yeah, because of how long it takes to dry at home. Or some people don't have the space to hang it up. Mm. Um, not everyone lives in a garden. or Sometimes we do, you know, not everyone has a garden. But sometimes we do get customers that wash it and take it home to dry. That's quite rare. Um, more common when it's sunny. Mm -hmm. But yes, definitely. People do come to the shop because it's just cheaper then. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting as well because you could maybe like bundle your laundry into like one go or two go. You could do it in a week or so, and that's probably like saves quite a lot for them um, instead of doing it at home. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and what challenges um, did you face um, from the point where you start owning the business all the way up to maybe now? Like, um, how did you manage to deal with those? Um, <clears throat> so, challenges, I would probably have to say, um, they're more machine orientated. Mm -hmm. So with machine breakages, for example, um, you can't really go a few months without a machine. I have one that's out of order right now, and it's a brand new machine. Uh, it just doesn't get hot. So there's always something going on. And other challenges, I would have to say, it's also customer related. Um, when I first started off, I started making quite a bit of mistakes, mm -hmm. uh, ruining people's clothes, for example. But that was one thing about us is I was always taking the responsibility. I, if I did ruin something, I'd be like, listen, really sorry it happened where did you buy it have you still got a receipt have a look online see how much it is we'll give you the money back yeah that's that was one of the best ways to tackle this and no matter how angry they got if they knew you were taking responsibility for it they were okay with it um now i guess that was also a challenge because you know sometimes i get people that come in they have no idea how to do their washing mm -hmm. so there's always that kind of you know that old school saying of take it to your mum. she knows yeah. Um, yeah. So that was that was mainly the challenges that I experienced. That's interesting. <laughs> I get what you mean. Um, it's probably like a simple task to do, but the fact that you have to separate the colors and the type of fabric and then how to wash them <laughs> is the challenge. <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely. <laughs> yeah. And then sometimes if it gets a bit too much, just wash it with your hands. <laughs> yeah. That's that's it. That's it. Yeah. Cold hand wash, or you just get a bit of conditioner, dip it in the water a bit, you know, rub it around. That's it. You're good to exactly. go. Exactly. The old fashioned way always works. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Best way. <laughs> cool. Um, and in terms of like the business side of it, um, was there any sort of challenges that you faced in setting it up and getting it to a good point? Yes, there were there were challenges. There were challenges. Um However, as previously mentioned, you know, getting it up to a certain point, 
people don't really realize how much reputation does to your business. Mm -hmm. You really can't slip up. You can't, if, if you're having a bad day, yep. you leave that at home. You don't take it to work because you're always bombarded with, with interactions. There's always something that requires your attention or talking. I mean, some mornings I go in and I, I just don't want to talk. I mean, my customers now know if I go in the morning, I open up at 8.30. For the first five or 10 minutes while I'm making my coffee, they don't really talk to me that much. I have a few customers that joke around with me. They're like, oh, I'm going to talk to you anyway. Um, it's not that I'm miserable or anything. I'm just easing into the day. Now, challenges setting up the business in regards to the actual business, it's very difficult finding engineers. Mm -hmm. That was one of the challenges. Um, and that kind of pushes you to learn and do it yourself. There's a lot of you know, mechanical issues that I can fix myself now. But in the beginning, it was very difficult finding a reliable engineer because at the end of the day, you, you don't really have the money to get big companies. You don't really have the money to pay an engineer that charges you 200 pounds an hour. Yeah. Uh, because you do one service wash, you, let's say you charge 15 pounds, mm -hmm. that's one service wash that takes you an hour to do, obviously with the washing and drying. But that's how you're making your money. Um, that was one of the challenges as well. Yeah, I get it. I think um, the type of probably the machines that you use in the shop is probably like very unique as well. And only special kind of engineers and equipments you need um, to fix them. And in terms of the parts, they may be also tricky to get. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's a commercial washing machine. It's coin operated. Um, we also have a dry cleaning machine, which is very, very technical. That I don't really know a lot about. Um, and the parts, it depends on what machine you have. So when I first picked it up, took over the business, the machines were very old. They were made by an American corporation. Um, and the parts were pretty much discontinued. Yep. So slowly over time, I replaced it with newer machines. And the newer machines, they're very, quite easy. You can get the parts yourself online. And most of the times, the company selling it to you will give you a brief instruction on how to install it if it's not technical. If it's technical, then you need an engineer. Exactly. Um, and in terms of a location, does it matter? Like um, in terms of like a laundry business, is there, is there a specific location that you need to be in order to get like more um, customers or more engagement? Um, yes, yes and no. I mean, it's, it's not like a barbershop or hairdressers where there's five on the same road. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because they all, they all have their own customers and skills yeah. and you know but a laundrette yes of course you don't want to buy a laundrette next to another one mm -hmm. uh, so ironically we actually have i can't remember what it was called but it's i don't know if you've seen it it's at a petrol station they have like a, a do-it-yourself uh, laundry machine that's just out in the open yeah um it has like one two washing machines and one dryer ironically they opened one up right across the road from us in a petrol station and all of my customers were just laughing. They were like, well, why? Did, did they not know there's a laundry across the road where you can go inside, sit down, be warm, not be outside in the rain? Because the other, the other machine, when you put your clothes in, you have to stand there. Because as soon as it's done, anyone can take your clothes out. Yeah. It's just out in the open. Um, so location is important. 
but it's you know it's it's tricky you can't really buy a location and set up a brand new launcher you can it's going to be very expensive to do mm. yeah so location is very important yeah interesting and from this business what have you learned and how have you grown from you know the process of having this business um be, being responsible for everything you do uh, seeing different characters walk in being treated differently every time mm -hmm. and then trying to change the person trying to change people's opinions um, i've really learned how to manipulate is a bad word but change their perspective yeah i think so for example you might get someone that doesn't really like the way i look doesn't like my necklace for example right you you have to know how to dissolve and calm them down as a person so they just treat you with respect i mean we used to have football players come in we used to have very rich people come in where you know how they are they're on a different well they think they're on a different level um and maybe they are i don't know i don't judge i really don't and as long as you give me respect as long as, long as you treat me with the basic manners and respect that I, anyone deserves, you'll get the same back. Um, funnily enough, we also used to have dealers of sorts, okay? And, you know, you can tell. I mean, they, they smell like it. So but as soon as they came in, I don't care what you do. I don't care what you are like, what you do outside of my shop. You're in my house. I'll treat you like a guest. And... You know take it from there and it does really it helps you learn how to be very patient as well yeah that's really good yeah i think um having a skill of being patient is really important or at least it's very useful skill to have yeah and being humble too being grateful yeah. <laughs> knowing what you have and i know loads of people have heard this before but others don't have it yeah and if you as long as you know that then yeah, it'll be good. Yeah, exactly. Um, and what advice would you give if someone wants to take a similar path as you or like set up a business um, or it could be like a laundry business or any of your other sort of business type that you've had? Um, what advice? Well, I'm gonna say this again, patience. Mm -hmm. Patience is truly a virtue and many, many people nowadays they have very short fuses. The slightest thing annoys them. Um, I always used to have a saying where I say, it can always get worse. Mm -hmm. And you can never be too ambitious. So in, in those regards, I think the best advice that I would be able to give is, is just do not be affected by every stimuli that happens. If, for example, you know, the simplest thing your internet cuts out, okay? Or, oh, Instagram is not working. Go outside, um, drink something, talk to the person next to you. Um, and life experience too. Yeah. Truly, truly life experience. I'm gonna say this again. You can definitely learn from it because business, you're on your own. When you start a business, you, you are always the person, you are the image you are that business when people look at the business they'll relate it to the first point of contact which was you 
or if you have staff, you need to train your staff that whatever they do directly affects your business. Now, obviously, the, then we go into you know the, the employment satisfaction and keeping them happy. That's another conversation that will you know last for hours. But the advice that I would say to take a similar path is be flexible, learn a lot, be willing to do things that you don't know anything about, and also be willing to fail. Be ready to fail. I'm not saying you will, but if it happens, don't be surprised. Don't be demoralized. Mm -hmm. Take it on the chin and keep going. Exactly. Thank you for that. I think sometimes um, some people might be scared of the failure part, that they don't go and basically go after their passion or their interest. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, we live in a world where people are always nervous or they may be scared or anxious. Yeah. Um, and best way, you know, you, 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 you've probably seen this old videos where if someone doesn't know how to swim, they just throw it in the water, throw him or her in the water. This is exactly like that. You'll yeah. swim for survival. Mm -hmm. And if you have the kind of mindset where, okay, I need to do this or else, mm -hmm. push yourself. I mean, I'm not saying jump in the water straight away. Yeah. Baby steps. Take it slowly. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, and I know that you've, um, outside of your business, you've got an interest and um, in terms of like going into like programming. Tell us a little about that. So I think I'm at a stage where business has been very rewarding for me. Mm -hmm. But I would like to do, so like I previously mentioned, I've always been a computer geek you know I've always played video games I've I've done all-nighters of just playing PC games and things like that so I'm very comfortable and I'm happy being on a computer and in regards to code it's or being a developer you're learning a skill you're learning a language that you use on a daily basis but you never really truly understand now you can talk and I'm, I'm thinking about this and maybe in an immature way but it, it speaks to me if, for example, let's say my stereo isn't working, or even the the electronic interface or the the screen, the panel on my washing machine, all right, that's all code. The system yeah. is all made up in code. Now, if you're able to understand that, you can talk to electronic devices, right? So it's such an invaluable skill. And I think when you're a developer as well, it, you also have the opportunity to work on your own. Yeah. Um, you can somewhat freelance, you can do work on the side, um, you know, you can start a tech company if you're ambitious enough. There's a lot of different things that you can do. So that's also why I'm, I'm going into that. And I think slowly, maybe over time, I will make the transition of going into that. That's really interesting. And how are you approaching this? Um, have you done coding before or are you taking a course? What are you doing? Um, I haven't done coding before. This is all really quite new to me. Um, yeah. However, I tried taking the YouTube approach. I tried that social media thing where they said, oh, you can get a job in three months and you can just do this, do that, put on portfolio, this, this, this. But I think that was one of the traps that I fell into is that social media life that when they tell you, oh, this person is making that much money, this person, money is not easy to get. Yeah. It really is not. And I, I urge anyone to not fall into that trap of thinking it's easy. Nothing is easy. 
Um, so I tried it. I tried following YouTube tutorials that came up with errors every time. I couldn't, I couldn't fix the bugs. I couldn't, you know, search anything up. So I decided to go back to university, mm-hmm. uh, to go back to Open University, and basically just pay my pay my own way through the Open University. However, I'm also working uh, six days a week alongside university. So I know what I'm taking on, uh, but I always say this, I'm young, and if whatever I think is tough, someone must have done it before. Yeah. I mean, the world is full of billions of people. Whatever scenario you think, someone has gone through it. Mm-hmm. Now, if they can do it, I'm, thank God, healthy, there's nothing wrong, amazing, a roof over my head, food on the table, good family. I have no excuse. I should be grateful for what I have and use that. So, yes, I'm going back to university to follow an actual course that shows me step by step. Of course, when I'm doing it, I can always just read ahead, do more. But it's nice to be slowly introduced to everything. Yeah, that's really interesting. And well done for going back to studying and going back to uni (laughs) because I think people are sort of think if you don't go to university for the right um course at after school you after you leave school then you basically the shift has sailed sort of thing and they don't really think about like maybe later on you change um your interest and you want to go to a different career path and you want to go into studying again i think people are getting put off by their age or maybe by certain things and also the cost of the course as well yeah definitely so the first part being put off by your age is so true. Yeah. I was to say, to be honest, at a, at a certain point, I was kind of contemplating. I was a bit doubtful. But then I, I spoke with my brother, and he is studying medicine. Yeah. And he said, look, you know, studying medicine, to do any specialty, you need up to 10 years of just continuous studying. Yeah. He said, we have people in our class that are 40, mm-hmm. they're 30, and they're just starting out, you know, in the lower years. Yeah. So that is one trap that so many people think because also, and I'm, I'm going to be like a granddad here and say it again, it's social media that's making people like this. Because mm-hmm. you always hear, oh, this 18-year-old is doing this. That 20-year-old is making that much per month. It's never too late. It really is not. And as yeah. long as you're comfortable with what you're doing, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you know, my parents, are, my, my dad is 60, for example. He moves around. He's more energetic and stronger than me. And he's twice the, twice the age of me. It's never too late. We, you can always change your career. You can always do something new. And studying, as long as you study something that truly makes you happy, for whatever incentive, whether that's making your parents proud, whether that's going into a family business that requires a certain skill, or whether that's money, mm-hmm. it's never too late. You can always start. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think the other thing, uh, maybe this is a bit of a bias um, sort of statement, but I think um, because I'm in tech as well, um, getting into tech and the industry itself, it opens up quite a lot of opportunity. So you don't, you might start off your course as being like a programmer, um, and then eventually once you get into the industry, there's a whole world of uh, different fields that you can go into. And if you later on do change your mind and you don't want to be like a super um, hard 
coder and programmer, there's always like other um, areas that can go into and shift your um, career path. So that's really the good thing about technology and tech in, in itself. Um, and I think you will do great. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. That means a lot. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's really good to know um, about your sort of different journeys that you've gone into. Um, and I suppose now we can maybe go into a bit of your uh, personal relationship. Has your sort of career and the different types of business you, you went to and like spending all of your time um, invested in setting up business, does that, has that had any impact on your relationships? Um, I think relationships, yeah, I mean, I've, I've lost friends, uh, for example, because I'm always working, um, and it's, it's always a different kind of, this might sound very harsh, but at a certain time, you kind of outgrow each other. Yeah. You're on a different path, you know, I've always had my own business, I was, for example, traveling around a lot, I didn't, I, I don't go to pubs, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't like going to clubs, and, you know, night festivals and concerts um so basically yes i mean having my own business i've always had more responsibility on my shoulders than my friends have um, in regards to relationships with my you know family and things like that uh, yes and no i mean i'm still very close to them um it has caused some arguments in the past uh, but nothing major that has influenced you know my, my personal life and relationships no it just as long as you know which relationships are more important mm -hmm. um then that's what matters and you know as previously i mentioned i i live with my parents i'm from a kurdish household um so i'm very traditional in the way of you know romantic relationships um i'm always home <laughs> i'm always with them and you know i don't i don't go out i don't talk to everyone and you know I, I don't want to make make an image of myself and impress you know other people no no so the career choices that i've had um i don't think it's infl inf inflicted any damage on my personal relationships no that's good that's good um and if say for example um you're saying that you work six days and now that you're just going back to studying um how are you managing the work-life balance sort of thing um so luckily i'm my own boss mm -hmm. so that is a perk of you know having your own business so i can always take my own hobbies and studies with me to work mm -hmm. uh, because not every day is busy yeah right so some days I might just be there before I was watching like Netflix or YouTube or whatever it was, um, watching documentaries, you know, about conspiracies and things like that. Um, and I think to maintain that balance is very important. So you have to kind of time everything. You know, you have to know what at the moment is important to you and what you should kind of spend time on. So, for example, I used to go to the gym in the morning. Nowadays, I go to the gym when I come back from work at five o'clock. I go straight to the gym because if I come home and you know I get dressed and I relax, I have food. That it's 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 a bit of a push to get back out of the house. Um, and in order to incorporate studying as well, it really is about time. It's all about time. So and 
to be honest with you, when people say I don't have time, when people say I'm too busy, what is too busy? Unless you have children, unless you have a family or you're a single parent, then I completely understand because you have another soul to take care of. But if you're on your own, there is always time. And if you sit down and spend your time doing something properly, you put all your focus into one thing, you put away your phone, any kind of decision, be worth 10 hours. Um, so having that work-life balance of not just always working on yourself, always having, also having time to go out, go to the beach, go for a walk, go to the gym, whatever thing helps you, whatever, whatever is your, you know, Pandora's key or however they put it, do it. There's no right or wrong. If listening to music, if eating food or if going for a simple walk on the beach is therapeutic to you, that is your downtime, do it. I mean, in my case, it's nature. I love nature. Um, I also want to just live on a farm with a few goats, animals, you know, have, have a few dogs running around and just make random things from trees. That, that's the kind of life I like. Yeah. Um, so having that balance is very, very important. Yeah. And it's possible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in terms of like your health, what are you doing to maintain good health? Spend a lot of money on food. <laughs> too much, too much. Um, I'm a big foodie. Yeah. Um, I I haven't been to McDonald's in over ten years. I don't like fast food, and maintaining good health, I think, also has to do with being stress-free in a way. Mm-hmm. You can't change something that's out of your control. You yeah. can't. And to be able to maintain good health, obviously, you need to eat healthy. You need to go to the gym. Um, it's just important because you would want to get up off the toilet when you're 80 years old. You don't, you don't want people to help you. And it, it's as simple as doing a few squats. Um, and yeah, to maintain that, you know, going to the gym, I used to go to the gym and take a long time. Um, but now I put music in my ears, you know, I put my headphones or earphones in. I go in and I'm done in 45 minutes to an hour. Just get everything done and go out. So yeah. you can always fit that in. And good health is just food. Try to be stress-free and work out. It's the best way. Exactly. Yeah. Good stuff. And what do you do to sort of switch off and take a break from like um, from work, from studying and all of that sort of stuff? Um, sometimes I like to, well, most of the times I like to watch something. Mm-hmm. watch like a movie or a TV show um, or go to the beach. So I'm lucky enough to live next to the beach um, and be in nature. So for example, we, we live near, near New Forest, which is a uh, national park. It's beautiful. There's you know, wild horses, wild cows. I don't know how that works, but um, it's really nice. So going for that, for like a walk in the weekends, it really does help. Um, and I try and not take any music with me. Mm-hmm. I put my phone on silent. Um, some weekends, if I get random calls that might be the laundrette, I just leave it. Honestly, at a certain point, that's how it, that's where you get to because you can't let certain things completely take over your life. Yeah. It's the weekend. It's a Sunday. I'm with my family. I'm on my own. I'm free. Whatever problems, come back Monday. <laughs> just don't bother me on my day off. And to switch off, definitely. Just 
anything not to do with what you're working on you know no goals just stay away from that on your on your day off that's the yeah. best way exactly yeah i think um walking in nature is always like the best solution for most things um to yeah. de-stress as well yeah definitely Um, that sounds good. And what is next on your journey? Um, I think right now is to maintain my business mm -hmm. and truly focus on my studies. Really focus on my studies. Try and get the highest possible grades. Not, I'm not focusing on what the past grade is. I'm focusing on, you know, what is the distinction? What is the best possible thing that I could achieve? And I've been through a lot. And I've, I'm, I'm always very grateful for all of my downfalls and, and successes. Um, so I know what I'm capable of, or maybe I don't even know it yet. Um, so I think right now, yeah, focus on my studies, focus on my uh, coding, and uh, take it from there. Sounds good. And how can our listeners support you on your journey, if there's any way? Um, they can support me by focusing on themselves I'm not the kind of you know the kind of person to have a GoFundMe page or have a PayPal oh, you can transfer some money I could buy some shoes with it no no I I'm very grateful you know and as long as people take something away from this as long as they can do you know how they can support me if you have an argument or if you have a fight or if you've stopped talking to your family members go talk to them call them up take one of the take one of the arguments on your shoulders just be like i'm sorry let's start again mm -hmm. having that strong family connection i see it around me i see it in my own extended family they're not like us and it's it's a shame yeah so that's how they can support me is mm -hmm. work on yourself and get that family connection going it, it's so important mm -hmm. exactly yeah i think um it just all starts from home if there's yeah. always like bickering and like argument that sort of leaches on to your other aspects of your life. Yeah, definitely. It definitely does. Because um, it just affects you. And, you know, if I was to have an argument, it you can't deny the fact that it will affect you. It will make you feel down. You know, you, you probably won't enjoy your work day. Um, or some people, they're just happy not talking to their siblings for years and years. I don't understand that. Yeah. I really don't. Um, and it's it's... If you can, if you can help it, um, and most problems, I always say this, that it might be a problem to you, but in reality, there's a lot bigger things. So if you argued about a bit of money, if you argued about, oh, they called me this, or they said this, they don't like this, that's nothing. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, you'll realize that even money is nothing. Yeah. Because once that person goes in their life, you will never live happy because you always have that regret. Yeah, exactly. Money comes and goes, but people don't. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. eventually they do as well, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's very true. Cool. And in terms of your success, um, how much of, a, um, of your success do you attribute to hard work and how much of the, would you say is luck? Um, as previously mentioned, I think those two are quite interchangeable. Mm -hmm. Um. I don't believe in luck. Mm -hmm. I think I think when, for example, people see me, I used I used to have a nice car, and they oh you're lucky, or oh 
some things you're born into some things you are lucky with i am very very lucky to have an amazing family i'm very lucky to have an amazing brother mm -hmm. um, i would do anything for my brother anything for my parents and i have you know and i continue to do so um so my success to attribute to luck i think i think in some particular cases i have been lucky but only because i put myself out there and you know sometimes people mention everything will come at the right time and that is true that yeah. is true but if you don't go out putting yourself out there having the opening the doors that could invite that luck in it will never happen if you always stay home if you always stay behind computer games until you're 25 30 you're not going to get lucky in life because you're not you're not trying you're not putting in that progress you're not putting in the foundations you're not laying the stones or the bricks that could build you the house you want yep um and hard work people don't know what hard work is mm, yep. some do of course um and it's all relative you know you you have hard work that requires brain power you have hard work that requires physical power um and i think in my particular case it's been an, a healthy mixture of the two mm -hmm. i've put in a lot of work and I'm not the kind of person that likes showing off. I never have been. Um, there's also still a lot more things that I haven't said. But, you know, it's, it's, it's important. It's really, really important for someone to have the determination and the mindset to keep trying, even when they're tired. Just rest a bit and get back to it. Um, because once, once you get old, and I think there was a saying as well where they said, if you were to meet the possible future self of all of the ideas that you had in your mind but didn't do, but if you met that person that did do it, how would you feel? Yeah. What would you say? What would you see? Um, and, you know, also another one where they said that if, if your life is a documentary, mm -hmm. at this, up to this certain point and you were to rewatch it, would you enjoy it? So those things all really attribute to putting in the hard work, I think. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I think, um, as you said, sometimes you say, oh, you're just lucky or someone would say that to you, but then they don't know what you've done to get to that point or like the hard work you've put into it. Um, it all seems easy from the outsider, but from the insider, it's not that easy. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if that's envy, if that's jealousy, hmm. but... It's so true. It's so true. No one has lived in your shoes or in your life. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nothing came easy, unless you win the lotto, of course. But yeah, we wouldn't be here if we did. <laughs> exactly. Um, cool. And what's one takeaway um, that you want our audience on to get from this um, episode? Um, if you're not happy with something, if you don't feel like you're you're doing something where you can live comfortably in this sense of not money but satisfaction mm -hmm. change it yeah change it do something about it it doesn't matter how old you are it doesn't matter what situation you are um someone has done it so why not you yeah exactly thank you for that <laughs> um do you have any final words um 
Um, in in the Middle East, they always used to say like, "Oh, I thank I thank the the podcast host, you know, I thank my parents, and I thank this and that TV show and this." Um, any final words? I think would be enjoy life, look up random things, be open minded, you know, have a look at a few conspiracy theories, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't got my tinfoil hat with me, but uh just have an open mind you know just have an imagination i think that's definitely so so beneficial um don't be that close-minded don't always think that your way is the right way exactly i think think that's very important yeah that's really good thank you for that um and lastly where can people reach out to you if they've got like any sort of questions and maybe in terms of how to set up a business and that type of stuff um, I've got a LinkedIn, mm-hmm. which um, people can just contact me on. I'll try and help as much as I can, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in regards to any questions or anything like that. Uh, obviously, it depends on the question. I've had people ask me, hey, how much money do you make? Mm, I make enough to live. You know, I'm, I can still, I can buy, you know, go to the butchers and buy, buy what I want. But yeah, no, of course, I'm always open to help. I'm always open to for any questions, you know, if they want to start another video call with me or have a meeting or if they have ideas or if they want to start a fire extinguisher business. Yeah, why not? They can contact me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> perfect. Thank you, Tishko, for being here today and for inspiring all of us um, with your knowledge, with your wisdom and everything that you've shared with us. Um, I look forward to having you back on the show and good luck and all the good success to you um, on your journey, to your studying and your business. Thank you so much. That means a lot. I really appreciate it. Thank Thank you you for having me. Thank you for being here today. Thank Thank you. you. Take care. And thank you to everyone who tuned in. And if we can all do one thing, then be it to inspire one another and make the world a better place than we found it, no matter where we are. Remember to be you, inspire and enjoy the journey toward a happier, fulfilling and successful life. And I will continue my mission to inspire you with one episode at a time. Please don't forget to like, share, subscribe to the YouTube channel and hit the notification bell so you don't miss the next episode. You can also follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify and Google. Last but most importantly, please leave a comment, rate and review to let me know what you've learned from this episode and what would you like me to cover in the future episodes. I'm Lana and thank you for listening.